0: Revelation chapter 20, let's begin in verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil, who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, whose face, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray together. Father, as always, we sense our need coming to your word. And you know me, Lord, having a hard time with approaching your word today. Help me, Lord. Help me to make it through this time. Help us, Father, to have your heart for the lost. Help us to learn everything that we need to learn and shake us out of sleep, Lord, those of us that are spiritually asleep right now. and Get our focus. Help us, Lord, get our focus on what's important to you. Father, help us to not waste any time, any more time, to be busy about your business in the amazing calling that's on our lives in Jesus name amen please be seated I came prepared <clears throat> Today we look at a few pretty heavy things. Um, we look at the last rebellion, the great White Throne judgment and the Lake of fire. And last week we saw Satan being bound. An anonymous angel't't isn't isn't we aren't even given his name comes and binds Satan for a thousand years just one angel not a team not a posse not a a legion one angel an anonymous angel who knows maybe named barney fred clarence i don't know one anonymous angel comes there's no struggle binds him for a thousand years can you imagine this world without satan and his demonic realm harassing and Condemning and tempting and accusing God's people. But more than that, we looked at the millennium when we saw Jesus himself reign on, on this earth for a thousand years, ruling with a, a rod of iron. What a beautiful thing. People's lives, their lifespan was altered, we saw, where they, if you live to be 100, you're considered uh, to die of a young age. We see animals, the animal kingdom completely changed. We see the topography change. We see the government, of course, change. There's one government, no democracy. There's a theocracy, a true theocracy there, ruling, him ruling from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. And so today we're going to continue on looking at some sobering things, the great white throne judgment, the lake of fire, they're supposed to produce something in us as we read them as God's people. It's not just, oh, that's nice. That's chapter 20. That's in between chapter 19 and chapter 21. That's on my daily list of things I need to read. I'm going through the Bible, and that's something I'm going to check off my list. Every jot and tittle, every verse is, has a very specific purpose for each one of us. Every time that we open it, it's a mirror, first of all. And it assesses my current condition. We're not just seeking knowledge. We're seeking to be different. We're seeking to obey him. In any given moment in time, my life may be different when I open up his word to a specific passage and it's supposed to speak to me in a specific way for what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing. And so we need to gauge our spiritual health not merely on what we know, as wonderful as that is. We need to gauge our spiritual maturity on what we do. That's how God's measuring it, is on what we do. And we do this weird thing in our heads where we're, oh yeah, I know that, so I'm good. It's like, well, are you doing it? What if your kid said that to you? No, I'm not cleaning my room. I'm not picking up after myself. I'm not showering. I'm not, uh, you know, doing the chores that you've assigned. But I know all about them. And I'm re- I agree wholeheartedly. Amen, Dad. I agree. Amen. I can preach that sermon. Well, yeah, but you're not doing them. Yeah, but I know them and I agree with them. I'm in right in agreement. I could quote the verse. that, I mean, The day that you wrote that down, I could quote it. But you don't, you're not doing it, son. I know, but I know all about it. I agree. Who cares about that? That's like that credit was given to you about five seconds after I said it, that you know it. Now I want you to see you do it. So this passage is supposed to produce some things in us. Sobriety is one of them. Um, related to his willingness to follow through with what he said he would do in terms of judging mankind. He is going to follow through with what he said he's going to do. That should bring some sobriety. There's no head fakes. You know, oh, I faked you out. Oh, I just said that for effect. He's going to do it. He's going to accomplish these things. It also is supposed to produce a fear of God in us related to his holiness. Sin means something to him. He's actually going to punish people for sin and for their rejection of Christ also supposed to produce a thankfulness in our hearts that we're not there this, this judgment is for unbelievers only we have already experienced a judgment seat of christ way way before that Where we're being judged by our motives and our heart and so forth and we're giving rewards and given an account for what we did with what he entrusted us with all of that's already occurred now these are unbelievers so we need to be thankful that we're not there as we read this you know so much more detail could have been given to john in this revelation but I mean, this is just my guess. But I don't think God could take it. I think He gave the minimum minimum amount of detail. He doesn't. It hurts Him to th- even think about this. It also is supposed to produce an urgency to preach the gospel. To understand the seriousness of the calling that each one of us have to obey the Great Commission and to be willing to preach that gospel. There's no way. I mean, you can't look at this and have a soft heart, or have a hardened heart towards. The lost. When you see that this is real. These are real verses. I'm looking into the future. These people will not have a second chance. They will not be able to say, Oh, you know, I'm sorry now. I repent now. It will be too late. And there's going to be no second chances there. And God's supposed to produce an urgency to preach the gospel and to be be a part of outreach and so forth. But also the, the seriousness of unbelief. God doesn't force anyone to go to heaven. He honors our free will and he's willing to let people go to an eternity without him to honor that free will. That's why it's so crazy for when when the, certain theologians and certain belief systems take away our free will and say that we don't have any because God's willing because God's the one that's holding them accountable to this judgment. And if he didn't give them the capacity to choose, then he would be on trial he would be the one that could be rightly accused. Hey, you didn't give, I, I couldn't believe in Jesus. You didn't give me the capacity to have faith and to repent. You didn't come into, come into me by your Holy Spirit and, and regenerate me apart from me knowing it and give me the capacity to repent. You didn't do that for me, so you can't hold me accountable. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's true. He, wouldn't, he would be the one on trial, but he's not. They are. He holds them responsible. So let's have a prayerful heart as we go through these verses. Let's be open to what he may want to speak to us about individually. Now notice in verse 7, Satan is released from the bottomless pit. It says, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. I want to stop there. So it's a prison. It's specifically a prison. It's a holding tank. We're told last week that that the angel placed a seal on it. He couldn't get out. There and so now we've jumped just from a few verses. We've transversed a thousand years, a whole millennium has gone by. That's the time from like a thousand fifteen to today. That's a long time that that things have happened there. That he has been incarcerated there, separated, and sequestered away from everyone else. And so this this has been a great time so far. No temptation in terms of being tempted from without. No affliction. No con- condemnation. Condemning. No. No one ac- accusing anybody. What a great time! But verse three we saw last week told us that he must be released again. I asked the question: Why must Satan be released? Why couldn't have have God just kept him in there for all eternity? Thrown away the key, uh, you know. But there's there's this very specific reason. We're told in verse 8 that Satan will, will go out to deceive the nations. And remember, those few who survive the seven-year tribulation, the 25% of the world's population that survives the seven-year tribulation, will enter into the millennium as mortals. And they will have children. And they will live longer. It's probably only two or three generations for that whole thousand-year span there. But some of those children will not know the Lord. And so... These, they will not have received Christ even though they have been governed by Christ and seen all of the perfect decision making all of the fairness and the equity and the and the treating people right and the order and all those things to see him in person potentially doesn't isn't, isn't didn't, didn't matter they still didn't have a relationship, they won't have a relationship with Christ. So that shows us that Jesus will demand outward obedience, but even in the millennium with these people, he's still going to honor their will. He's still going to honor their free will to choose. So outwardly they're obeying, inwardly they're, they're not believers and they don't believe in Christ. So because of that, God honors their decision and releases Satan so that If they want to deny the father, I mean, since they want to deny the father, then they must also serve their father, the devil, because Jesus talked about that. We only have one, either one father or the other. We either have the father or the devil is our father. If we don't know Christ or we have our heavenly father, the heavenly father, if we're a believer. And so their father is a deceiver. So if they are being reunited with their father, then they're going to get deceived by him. It's it's it goes in line with working with their will. God has to give everybody the chance to choose. And so these people, they've never been given a chance to choose in the sense of uh, being judged or any of those things and so forth. So he's saying, okay, you've had this perfect environment. Even the people that have had this great environment, you have to make your decision. And so since you are choosing this, then you're going to be allowed to to fully express that decision in rebellion. And there's someone that's going to organize and, and, and uh, bring everybody together for the specific purpose of rebelling against God. So that's what we see in verse 8. And we will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. So they're, they're going to fight. Whose number is as the sand of the sea. So this Gog and Magog. Magog historically was the grandson of Noah and was the founder of an area north of the Black and Caspian Seas there it's geographically an area where his his descendants ruled there and in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 we're told Gog and Magog uh, represent that northern area most people believe it's Russia today and they join forces with Libya Ethiopia Turkey and so forth and they attack Israel and that's either going to happen right before the seven-year tribulation or most people believe in the middle of the seven-year tribulation at some point and God will defend Israel and it'll be clear to all that God defended it was a supernatural defense there and God will have the victory so this rebellious group here that we're looking at in Revelation it's possible that they have their headquarters uh, in the same area in the north area like Russia we don't know but it's very possible or that this is a generic term for God's enemies, and since they aim to attack Israel now, just like they have done at this point in Ezekiel 38 and 39, then he's just referring to them the same way and calls them the same name. We don't know for sure. But anyway, they are the ones that constitute this large group of people that's innumerable. That's the saying that we see in Scripture over and over again, is the sand of the sea. No one can count them. So it's a large number, comparatively speaking. So that's a lot of people that, that want to rebel. Verse 9. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So the camp of the saints. This is We're right around the, new, the Jerusalem there. Not New Jerusalem yet, but Jerusalem there. And that's us. So we're, you're seeing yourself in scripture again. They're going to be surrounding us. It's a little bit a little of an advantage to know uh, the plans of an attacking, you know, force or army of, you know, a few thousand years ahead of time. But we know that that's coming. We're the camp of the saints. They surround us. And but we've read Revelation. We already know what's going to happen. God's going to take care of them. And he says, and they surround the beloved city. That's Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them no struggle no drawn out battle just fire just judgment fire is always representative of judgment in the scriptures immediate judgment with fire there's not really a battle i wouldn't even call this a battle at all and 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 you know it's it's going to be a significant attempt to thwart us and actually, more importantly, God and who were tag alongs, <laughs> you know, to thwart what he's doing with Satan deceiving them. Part of that deception is that you can actually win against God. I would say that's the highest deception that you can be engaged in. This has already happened in the Great Tribulation at the end of the seven year tribulation, where they actually thought they could uh, fight against Jesus and us coming back behind him, the armies of heaven. And, and it was complete deception. So they're going to be completely deceived that they could actually win. And, and so we see the, the, the end before it even starts. Now for the devil's judgment in verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Notice it says where they are. Not where they were. Where they are. Remember, they were cast alive into the lake of fire at the beginning of the millennium, right at the end of the seven-year tribulation. They're still there. They're still conscious. They're still awa- awake and experiencing all that that is. Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. He talked a lot about the lake of fire and, and, and uh, you know, Hades and so forth. And, and so it's a real place with real uh, torment and so forth. So he says that's where they are. That's where the devil got cast into in there first. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. So there's this teaching in the body of Christ called annihilism, annihilationism rather, where God's enemies gets, they get annihilated. And somehow when it says the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever, that's poetic and that's not literal. And, you know, because we can't wrap our minds around how God could, um, punish someone or have them be in a place of punishment for eternity. And honestly, none of us can fully comprehend that. But none of us can also comprehend the greatness of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, that God in human flesh would come and die and be, and, and con- uh, condescend himself to this earth, be born how he was born and suffer and die in our place, take that complete wrath that we deserved on himself to, and have that relationship with the Father somehow... Uh, interrupted we can't comprehend that and and that's what they're rejecting that's what they're uh you know that's what they're denying and so forth so you in greek you can't say that any stronger forever and ever it's where we get our word uh eon eons and eons it's ionian and ionian it's like to the ages of ages there's no other stronger term that john could have used to describe the length of this than, than these words here. It, hell is eternal. There is no end to it. And we just can read over it and think about it and just gloss over it and not realize this, is, this never ends. I heard as a new Christian, this may be new to you, maybe you've heard this before, but I heard as a new Christian to get my mind wrapped around the idea of eternity that let's say you took a grain of sand from the beach and you had this bird that could take. Uh, the grain of sand and fly all the way into space and fly trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions you know 500,000 trillion you know it takes 32,000 years to transverse 32 or a trillion seconds okay that's how big a trillion is 32,000 years to, to for a trillion seconds to go by and we're in you know 18 trillion in debt that's a whole nother issue that's completely irresponsible. Both Republican and Democrat both have contributed to that. So that's a whole other issue. But let's say the bird could take off trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years, takes that grain of sand and puts it at the other side of the galaxy or whatever. And then it flies back trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years and it grabs another grain of sand. And it keeps going one grain of sand at a time that way until it's transferred... The whole planet to the other side of the galaxy—that doesn't even equal one tenth of eternity. That just blows our minds to think about how long that is. When we say eternity is a long time, it's not even—that's not even correct because long implies that you measured something. You can't measure something that has no end to it. I mean, it is just eternity for eternity, forever and ever and ever. And it, and it hits us right in the face to see that these this, the devil, of course, you know, the false prophet, yes. The Antichrist, absolutely. But then we're going to see everybody else go to the same place. It's supposed to hit us. Now let's begin in verse 11, talking about this great white throne here. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. First of all, John sees a great throne. I don't know if John ever saw a real throne in, 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 you know, in Rome or in his area in, 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 on earth or whatever. Maybe he did with uh, the different leaders in Israel or whatever, but this is a massive, huge, great throne. And notice the color is white. The color of this throne is white. It's a white. It's Literally, that's the appearance. It's white. It's a white throne. And white speaks of purity. It speaks of holiness. It speaks of light. God invented light because he is light, not the other way around. He didn't become light because he created light. Obviously, he's always existed and his he's of inapproachable light. He is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And this judgment is all about what's white in terms of morality, what's holy, what's pure, and what's dark and sinful and and um hidden and so forth. And and he brings it all to light. I personally believe it's the Lord Jesus sitting on this throne. He said in John chapter five, verse 22 through 27, for the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him most assuredly. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. So he God has committed God. The father has committed all judgment to the son And I believe that Jesus is on that throne, that great white throne judgment. And he is going to have this time with each individual unbeliever that's there to deal with them specifically on their past life and what they did or didn't do and so forth. Now, notice it says from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. I believe that the Lord Jesus' posture and readiness to judge the unsaved dead is the catalyst for the universe to melt and cease to exist at this point. You may remember uh, the Lord, um, or not the Lord Jesus, but the Apostle Peter talking about the universe melting. He said in Second Peter chapter three verses 10 through 13, he said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for the hastening of the the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, which we'll see next week, the beginning of the next chapter, a new heaven and a new earth. So I believe Peter was referring to this, maybe not knowing that kind of the chronology of it, but We're told in scripture that Jesus holds together everything by the word of his power. And we have talked about this before, where there's this atomic glue that holds atoms together. And and they don't know what, what holds it together. We know. We know who holds it together. It's the Lord Jesus. And so when he is getting ready to judge this world, this unbelieving world at the great white throne judgment, he dissolves everything. He stops holding it together. In fact, those the verses that I read when it says dissolve is actually the word luo in Greek which means to loose. In other words, he just lets it go. He stops holding it all together and it all falls apart and collides and that's where it melts with fervent heat. So it directly co- corresponds to the timing of this great white throne judgment. That's I don't mean I don't believe it's just poetic. There was the heavens and the earth the earth and the heaven fled away. And there is found no place for them. I believe that's literal. That there's nothing else at this point. That it goes away. And he's getting ready to create a new heaven and a new earth. And and the reason I believe that is that there's no more rebellion. There's no more sin. All the echoes of sin are gone. The remnants of sin are gone. The The people that are going to be saved are saved. The people that are lost... They're lost. The, the, all the final decisions have been made. Those, the, the, it's all been completed. So the purpose of the universe has been completed. It's gone. It's, and it's gone. He just, it's, it fleds away. I can't even face that. Him facing this whole scene of judgment and going to judge these people. And it all goes away. And I want to go through this carefully. Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead small and great standing before God and books were opened and another book was open, which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So he says, and I saw the dead, that's the unsaved dead, the unregenerate dead. And he says, small and great. There will be no, there will be no uh, preferences given There'll be no partiality. Everyone will be on a level field. You'll have a billionaire next to a sweet old lady that did all kinds of moral things, baked cookies for the neighborhood kids, was paid her taxes, gave to charity, went to church every Sunday, but wasn't born again. Then you'll have a, a, a famous person from Hollywood that didn't know Christ. And then you'll have... A plumber that doesn't know Christ. And then you'll have a computer IT guy. And then you'll have, it'll, it'll just be, it'll, there'll be a child there that's old enough to make that decision for Christ but didn't. That, that reached the age of accountability, understood that didn't make that uh, decision for Christ. Who are, however old, what age that is depends, I'm sure, on the, on the child. But God knows when they've made that, when they've lived long enough to make that decision. There'll be elderly people. That, that that lived moral lives. There'll be there'll be uh, the whole gamut, the whole just complete diversity there. Small and great, influential influential people that no one ever knew their name will be there, equally standing before God. And I want you to notice they're standing before God. When a sentence is read in a court of law, what does the bailiff say? All rise. They stand for their sentencing. This isn't, a, this isn't a trial where we they have defense attorneys, where they're making a case. You know, people say, oh, you know, when I get to heaven, I'll give God a word. No, you won't. No, they won't. They won't give God any words or any sass or whatever. They won't. They're, they're going to be in awe. In fact, we're told in Scripture, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, standing before God knowing it's too late. Awaiting their sentence. Now having no hope of it ever changing. How do we know this is going to be fair? Because books are opened. See that? Books were opened. God is completely into fairness. They're not going to be able to utter one thing. It's very possible everything else goes away. No other people. They don't see any other people. It's just them and Jesus. And there's, this is your life. You know, it's, showing everything i mean time is not an issue here there, he can go as long and take as long as he needs to be thorough with that but notice there there are multiple books there it says books plural what what are these books we're not told explicitly what they are but we know that they have to do with their works because we're told there that that they'll be judged according to what's in the books. so it has to do with morality one could be the law of Moses. One famous theologian said once, you know, if you don't want Jesus, you're going to get Moses. You're going to have your life measured against the perfect law of Moses. So I don't know, it could be the law of Moses there, at least included in there. One of the books could be the book of idle words. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew twelve thirty six, But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. He meant that. It wasn't just, okay, I'm disciples, this is for effect here, and just said it. We're going to have to give an account. Mankind, I'm saying. We're not going to be at this judgment. We would have been at this judgment having to give an account for every idle word. And the word idle means useless or unprofitable word. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, we're told. And God is always working to get us to be careful with our words. We're told in Scripture that if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. We're told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may, in grace part, in, a great, may, may impart grace to the hearers. So everything that mankind says, every time they use Jesus as a cuss word, every time they use his name in vain, every foul word that they say, Every unloving thing that they say, every time that they slander, every time that they gossip, every time that they speak against somebody, every time that they use their words to hurt people. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. is one of the biggest lies there ever was. Words hurt. We sin with our mouths. And and, and I'm sure it'll echo in their mind over and over again. The times where they said, that's good for you. I'm glad that that works for you that Christianity thing. I'm happy for you. But for me, I don't I I don't see a god that would send people to hell. I don't I can't see a god. Well, you're forming a god in your own image now. Now you're engaged in idolatry. You're forming a god how you think he should be instead of looking at the book to see what he says he is or who he says he is. And so these people will be they'll be left with Everything that they have said and did there that has been against God and so forth, and they act now as if they're going to get away with it. And they're not. They're not going to get away with it at all. One of the books also is the book of life, we're told. The book of life. And anyone whose name is not found written in that book is going to be cast into the lake of fire. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. But first... There could be a book of your life or, you know, like a book of like going through everything in your life related to how you treated people and all the sin that you committed. And there could be this is the Pat Verforth book. Let's open it up and let's see how it lines up with my word. As an unbeliever, that'd be before I knew Christ, that'd be horrible. I didn't want that book to exist then. And I want it doesn't exist now. And that's the beauty of what we've experienced as believers. If that book exists, it's been erased. And our names have been put in the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's all that's there. We're not told there's anything else in that book except names. And our name is there. That's all that matters. There was one time where the 70, there were 70 disciples that Jesus sent out during his public ministry. And he called them to proclaim the kingdom of god and to work miracles and cast out demons and so forth and when they returned with joy they said this lord even the demons are subject to us in your name and he said to them i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven that's kind of a quench on your on your uh conversation <laughs> You're like hey they, they subject ourselves well i saw him cast out from heaven oh Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's what he wants us to rejoice about. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We're supposed to rejoice over that. The times when we're struggling and we're depressed and it looks like everything's against us, that one thing that we can, or there's many things, but at least one thing that's there that we can rejoice over, and that is I, my name is in that book. All that matters, my name is in that book. <laughs> Something to rejoice over. Verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. So every molecule comprised of the bodies of the dead who didn't know Christ are used to provide uh, unsaved. They're you know, to, to, to used to provide a basis for that body that they're going to receive to endure the great white throne judgment and to live for eternity without Christ. They're going to receive a new body. To endure that judgment, to stand before Christ, they're gonna, it's going to require them to have a body that can do that. And so everything gives up the dead and so forth. And the idea is no unsaved person will escape. There's no, well, you know, all the unsaved dead have to go through this judgment, but the ones that were lost at sea, they escaped. No, God can get everybody from everywhere. Get every molecule that, can, that, that, that makes up the, those bodies and he can bring them all uh, back. So again, I mentioned this last week, the word death means separation. So death, separation, that's going to give up the dead. Hades, the holding tank that's in the center of the earth right now, that uh, gives up the, the, the dead that it's holding and so forth. So sin gave way to death. Death gave way to Hades. And so now since sin is gone, there is no need for death and there is no need for Hades anymore. So that's why they're going to be thrown in there too. And it says, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Now this implies degrees of punishment. Because each one has sinned differently. So there's going to be punishment meted out differently based on their punishment. Jude speaks of this related to false teachers. That the darkest darkness is reserved for them. There's degrees of punishment. The more you hear the gospel, and the more you deny it. If you hear the gospel once and deny it, versus hearing it over and over and over again and deny it, there's more accountability there. Jesus said in Matthew chapter eleven, verses twenty-one through twenty-four, He said, "Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be far, it will be more tolerable." for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you and you Capernaum who are exalted in heaven or exalted to heaven rather will be brought down to Hades for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom it would have remained until this day but I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you so Revelation produces more accountability. The more revelation we have, this is true as believers, the more revelation we receive, the more we read God's word, the higher the expectation is for our lives. We're told for much is given, much is required. But it's also true for the unsaved. The more they hear the gospel, the more I have explained the gospel to people so many times, over and over, they could practically teach an evangelism class. Those people are going to be held more accountable than the person that I just handed a tract to or something, or they just heard the gospel a little bit, and that that's it. And they denied Christ. Now notice in verse 14, it says, Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. So again, there's no need for death anymore. Death is a result of sin, and there's no more sin. And Hades is the holding place for people to be prepared for to the great white throne judgment, but that's going to be over. So there's no need for those things. They're, they're, they're cast in the lake of fire. And, and this second death is, is talking about this eternal judgment that these people receive. The, as I said last week, if you're born once, meaning physically, you die twice. You die physically and you die spiritually. You're separated. Again, death means separation in the, in, in the Bible. But if you're born twice, you're born once physically and born spiritually, then you only die once. And if we're those of us that are here for the rapture, we don't even die that time. So uh, that's, a great, that's a great thing. So the second death is the separation that mankind has with God to be cast into the lake of fire. The second separation, verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Right now, when people die, they go to Hades. It's a holding place. And they're waiting there. Then after everything's done, and the whole millennium's done, all of that, then they come to this judgment there. And so they will be... At this great white throne judgment, they'll face Jesus. There'll be no arguing with his sentence. And they will know exactly that he was right in every sense of the word. And they will agree with that judgment. They will agree with it. They will not be arguing with him, they will agree with it. And so they face the Lord as their judge. I'm so glad I don't have to face Christ as my judge. I get to face him as my Savior. So everyone's going to face Christ. Just one is going to face him as a savior. Another one's going to face him as the judge. No crowds, no quick judgment here. He has all, again, all the time that he needs. They'll be judged by their works, but the worst sin of all will be rejecting the son. That's what determines that their names get in the Lamb's book of life or not, is what they did with Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, for God did not send his son into the world To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. People are already condemned. Jesus didn't have to come and condemn them. They're already condemned because they're already sinners and they're already uh, haven't trusted in him. So rejecting Christ is the unforgivable sin. It's it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's denying that unspeakable price that God paid for our salvation, Him coming Himself in human flesh and dying for us. So it's this whole con- the whole subject of hell. It's so serious. It's, I hate when people joke about hell. I used to do it, so I'm not condemning anybody. Hell isn't funny. Sin isn't funny. It, people pay a price for sin. People pay a price. And, and we shouldn't laugh or joke or be happy thinking about people going to hell because we were on our way to hell as well and God doesn't enjoy any of it. he doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked he doesn't rejoice in judging the wicked he doesn't rejoice in any of it the one thing about hell is that it's completely avoidable think about that it's more avoidable than taxes it's more avoidable than death it's more avoidable than catching a cold it's completely avoidable God sent out, people say, oh, I don't like the narrow way. You guys believe in a narrow, but the invitation is broad to everybody. And we should be thankful that there is a way to be saved. But people need a preacher. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? He's asking a rhetorical question here. Faith comes by hearing, but words have to be spoken for ears to hear. And God's called us to speak those words, to preach that amazing, amazing gospel. Do you remember the first time you heard the gospel? Was there anyone here that heard the gospel for the first time and believed on the first time? Anyone here? One, two, three, four. But it doesn't take, just most people don't make that decision the very first time they hear it. They have to hear it over and over again. And we give up so easily, don't we? I know I do. We have to obey that great commission, not to hoard salvation for ourselves, refusing to share it, like discovering a vaccine that we were going we to die and we are going to have a horrible death and so forth. We got a vaccine and then we hid it from everybody else. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't be willing to tell people about it. And people were dying all around us. Or we're on a ship and we fall overboard. and A bunch of people fall overboard. And someone throws us a life preserver. But once we get on deck, we refuse to throw any down into the water to help anybody else. And we're seeing them drown. This is infinitely worse than that. I want us to think of our unsaved family right now in your mind. Picture your unsaved family, your unsaved friends, co-workers, classmates, neighbors. The ones that aren't saved. Now I will not put the whole responsibility of their salvation on your shoulders. We don't carry that. Ultimately, they have to make that decision. But God has called us to do our part. He's called us to pray for them. He's called us to communicate with them the gospel. So not worry about what they think about us. To be faithful to preaching that gospel? I mean, the mailman doesn't get stressed out if I pay my bills or not. He just delivers the mail and whatever I do with them, that's great. He doesn't care. Or she doesn't care. We have to deliver that message. So if you don't know how to share your faith, learn how to share your faith. There's books in there to teach you how to do that. There's there's websites, there's resources. I've gone into the men's study and taught how to share your faith. I've gone into the women's study and taught how to share your faith. But we have to share it. We know our testimony, we know how God's changed our lives. We can share that. And then remember the ABCs. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead. And see, commit your life to him. That's a little outline all of us can remember. And when we approach someone, we just ask them questions about their life. Show that you care about their life. Let God turn the conversation to the spiritual things. He will. It's amazing how he does that. But not we're not to give up on people. We're not to um, give up on reaching the lost. We're, we're called to be engaged in outreaches and, and be about the Great Commission and, and not just be about our own lives. All of us can do that. We need to find out who our neighbors are. We need to find out who people in our lives, our coworkers, those that are around us or whatever, who doesn't know Christ and how can we help them understand the gospel. Do this sometime. I've done this and I've been so surprised by the results. Straight up ask somebody, has anyone ever explained the gospel to you? I'd say maybe one out of 10 will say yes. Most of the time they'll say, well, no. Or what do you mean by that? And you explain, well, I mean, the way to get to heaven. Or, or you ask them, what, is the world, what do you think the world thinks Christians believe on how they get to heaven? Just start talking about that. Oh, they're, you know be a good person and all that. And you start getting into the gospel. It's amazing how God will bring that around. God has called this church and every church. Part of the reason why we study the word and grow and get mature is to go out there and preach the gospel. And he wants us to grow in that. He wants us to grow in our evangelism. And I'm going to always keep bringing it up before you and, and I'm going to bring, always be bringing it up in front of me because we need to hear it over and over again. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and patience. That's the role of a pastor, to bring these things up and to teach God's word and he, it's important to him. Do you know the person that enjoys this great white throne judgment the least? Think about it. Who's Think about sending your kids to their room and they're, and they're going to be in there forever. Or, you know, you're, there's not going to be any second chances at all. Do you think, how do you think God's going to be enjoying this day? He's not going to enjoy it at all. Because he knew it was a, a completely avoidable. So we need to take this to heart. Take this to prayer. We need to have prayer lists. We need to have, I was on a Holy Ghost hit list. You guys know that. We're in the youth group of this other church. They put me on there and they prayed for me and I came to know Christ. We need to have a prayer list to be consistent. Don't give up. Let them tell you over and over again. I hear it. I hear it. You don't have to badger them. You don't have to be abusive or anything like that. But don't give up preaching that gospel I, there's that saying, you know preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. that's great. I understand that we need to be have character and live it in front of people. Yes, but there's a point in time we need to open our mouth and share that gospel. Paul didn't say without um, um, faith comes by watching. He says, faith comes by hearing. There needs to be a time we open our mouth and share that gospel and people will be saved and we'll be shocked. We're like what? Yes. You mean you want to be saved? You mean you want your sins? Forgiven? You mean? And we're shocked because we don't realize that the harvest truly is ripe as Jesus said. It's important to God. It's very important to God. This judgment day is coming. It's in the certain future of these people all around us all the time. Don't be afraid to speak up, to tell them the truth. It doesn't matter. If you get a little persecution, God says that's healthy for you. It's healthy for us. It's going to get worse and worse in this world. It's going to to cost us more and more to be witnesses for Him. So I don't want you to be stumbled when that comes. They're going to make it against the law to preach the gospel. And we're going to go to jail over that because we can't not preach the gospel. That law supersedes any law that's in this world. God's called us to do that. So let's take this to heart. This is huge here. God's leaning heavily on my heart to, to to emphasize to us that there's people all over the place, all around here, that are dying every day and going to hell without any second chance. And that whole weight of everything doesn't rest on our shoulders, but we need to do our part. And we need to be faithful. Let's make this year the year that you lead someone to Christ if you've never done that before. May this be the year that you step out and you're shaking and you're I don't know what to say. I remember the first time I went on a McHenry Avenue. We we're going witnessing. What is that? I went I was out in a parking lot and a cop came up to me and said, "What are you doing out here?" I'm said and I said, "I'm witnessing." And he said, "Witnessing what?" You know? I'm not kidding you. It's exactly what he said. And I'm like, "We're sharing our faith." Oh, Okay, I thought there was something going on over here. I was so nervous going up to people. And you're, they're going to hate me. They're gonna, they are going to—they—they don't do that. They appreciate. Especially when you say, hey, what am I gaining from this? I'm not asking you to come to my church. I'm not asking you for money. I'm out here because I care about you. And unfortunately, I have chewed some people out <laughs> that have, that have uh, questioned why I was out there. I'm not above yeah. messing up. But you learn. Scolding people. How dare you question me? I'm out here because I love you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Let's pray together. Father, help us to respond how you want us to respond to this passage, Lord. Help us to have your heart, caught. Help us to care about people beyond ourselves. Help us to find out who our neighbors are, to love people. You've given us all the resources to be able to Tell people the truth. Help us to not hoard this message to ourselves. And I pray that you bring in a massive harvest of souls through us. Thank you for your grace. And thank you that we're in your book of life. Thank you, Jesus, that right now we're in your book of life. We rejoice over that. Thank you. In your name, amen.